Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Alrighty. Welcome back, everybody. And welcome, everybody that's new. Had a ton of subscribers over the past couple days. So we blew right past that thousand subscriber mark. And I appreciate that. And welcome everybody that's new. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a lot that I'm going to be talking about today. So I'm going to be going over, touching on a little bit of Boeing news, going over some Netflix, answering a a lot of you guys' questions. We're going to be talking about dividends. And I know that you might have think you've heard everything with dividends, but you might catch something new. So we're going to be talking about dividends. And if you've been paying attention, you might notice something different about this right off the bat. So if we look right here, $34,400. Now, let me go to my YouTube channel here. We got this is my channel, the videos tab. I have the, the most recent ones here on the top left, the oldest ones here two months ago at the bottom right. Now, you might notice something that's, you might notice something similar throughout all of these. Every single thumbnail has my portfolio value aside from a couple. So I, I have like a Dave Ramsey video and a, this one here that doesn't really follow the series that I'm going through. They're not really even labeled episode numbers, but the rest of them, I put my portfolio value there. And you might have noticed, if you haven't noticed, you might notice that today's video, the 34,900 was the previous one, and currently I'm at 34,400. So shaved off a good $500 there. And I know that's everybody's favorite way to start the day was on Tuesday morning, I wake up And I do what any normal healthy adult does. And I grab my phone with a blaring screen. And once my eyes are able to focus on it, I go and open up the M1 app. And I see that I'm down about $400. So if I go to the week tab here, yeah, minus 431 since the 10th. And I made $8.69 in dividends. If I go to the one day tab, today's Wednesday that I'm recording this, $180 down for today. So shaved off a good $500 there. Now, that is just a normal human reaction to have that feel bad. Every time you see the green and you go and you see the numbers go up, if I look at the quarter view and I see $1,400, that's just a good feeling. You get that release of endorphins. When you see the dividends come in, you get that those endorphins come in. When you see the red, it's the total opposite reaction here. And I actually had, I usually do leave, uh, I leave the questions for the end of the video, but I'm going to put one up on the screen for the beginning here. And this one's from uh, account user Ben's vlog. And he says, hey, thanks for the quick response. He's referring to something else. This is kind of the middle of a conversation. He says, thanks. By the way, what's up with the real estate sector? It's down and O is killing me down 5%. Lol, is this normal? So, Uh, I could go on and try to give some reason why real estate is down. Honestly, I did look. So I read, you know, everybody's best guess articles in the Wall Street Journal, read some Seeking Alpha commentators. Really, they don't know. And this is something that isn't surprising. Stocks move all the time for reasons that people do not know. And whenever there's a CNBC article and they say, The stocks are up as, and they list off something that Trump has done, or they list off something positive. They're just taking whatever happens to be positive at that time and correlating it with the stock change. The stock change could be totally unrelated. We have no idea that they're even linked together. 
The reality is, is that this number right here, the reason that I never bank on it, the reason that I'm not a capital gains investor, that I'm an income investor, is because you can't rely on it. It's something that is totally, the, at least in the short term, is totally up to sentiment and the uh, finicky investors and their behavior and um, people get scared. They move money in and out of holdings all the time. So trying to tackle down one reason isn't really possible. That's You can't at least do that accurately. I can go to, like, there's articles here. Uh, I was looking at this one. This one was on the 15th, so just two days ago. Offering shoppers new experiences isn't helping as malls see a tsunami of store closures falling traffic. The U.S. retailers so far have announced that they will shut 5,994 stores while opening 2,641 in 2019. Now, what the point of this article is, is that it points out that already we've shut down 5,994 stores and we're in April. And that's more than, than how many we shut down all of 2018. So it's pretty much giving a grim outlook at malls and outlet stores. Issue is, is you might go, oh, well, retail fares. This article came out and other articles came out that show that malls are getting really hurt, right? Not that that's really new news. But that theory kind of falls apart when you look at the fact that if I go into retail here, everything's down. LTC Properties is senior nursing facilities. The SPG is the only one that really owns, um, really owns malls at all, and it's down 4%. Realty Income Corp owns zero malls. Doesn't own any malls. Their uh, their clothes aren't their uh, stores aren't closing at all. Their Walgreens and their WalMarts they're not going out of business or, or closing up shop, and they're down almost five and a half percent there. Well Tower, another healthcare REIT, down five and a half percent. So when you try to draw these like comparisons and say, oh, it's because the re you know the retail apocalypse and all the REITs are getting hurt from it, not really accurate. If you actually look at this, let's see if we should be surprised about this. Because he goes, lol, is this normal? And it's kind of a good question there. Is this an actual normal thing to have happen? Now let's go to Realty Income Corp here. This is Google. You just type in the symbol there. Brings up this graph. I zoomed in on it. Now I went to, we can go to the one-year chart. And up until now, it's been pretty pretty relaxed, a, a pretty gradual chart. But let's back this up to the five-year chart and see what we're actually investing in. I mean, in a few days, it goes down 4% there. From, if I actually look at this time zone right here, from July 29, 2016 to November 11, 2016, it's dropped 24%. From July 29th to November 11th. 24, you know, 24% just in that amount of time. So can it drop? Yes. Is it normal? Yes. You're expecting these to drop. If you look at this, I mean, it, it looks kind of gradual when you, you have this small of a map. It looks somewhat gradual. But the fact is there's some jagged edges here. There's lots of drops and hikes. Uh, I bought this holding. If I go here um, on M1 Finance, and this is the reason that in my last one that I did on REITs, I love REITs, but I made sure... I made sure positive to point out that Realty Income Corp, and I've said this multiple times, these high quality holdings, Realty Income Corp, Simon Property, Store, all these holdings, I bought them at much better deals. For instance, let's take a look at this one. We go into Realty Income Corp here. My average share price that I purchased it at is $52.23. Right now, it's $67. So when I purchased it, the yield of this was above 5%. It's not even 4% right now. So 
when I'm telling you about my holdings and the gains that I've made, you got to know that I got a much better cost basis by the time that I purchased them. And the reason that I got this great cost basis is because I purchased them when they were beating beaten up like crazy. When they were in the red, I just tried to look for uh, sectors that weren't doing well and REITs were not doing well. And I'm going, man, this these companies have phenomenal backgrounds. They're cash flow positive. They have high yields and they're not doing well right now. So I'll buy some of them and that's how I'm able to get up to where I am right now. So if I go back into real estate here, I'm up like 14% and I put a lot more money in here. Uh, a lot of it is earned dividends. Should you be worried about this? If you buy these holdings, they drop down. It's never fun to see your holdings go on the red. When I had, uh, I started investing and then my, I got my brother into it uh, shortly after, but I had about three really good months that were positive that put my portfolio up like 900,000 bucks. And when he started was right before things started to drop. And he was in the red for like a good four or five months before ever seeing any green in his portfolio. But if you stay in it, over the, the longer the timeline, the safer the bet is. With equities, the longer that you own them, the less risk there is involved in them. The shorter the timeline, the more risk there is. That's why the ultimate risky thing to do is to buy, buy things that are very short time periods, buying them on earning calls and options and those type of things. Now, should you be worried about this? I wouldn't be worried about it. I'd be worried about it if these companies were really struggling, if they had signs of struggling. Price fluctuation like this, in my mind, price fluctuation is not a thing to worry about. If they cut their dividends, that's something I'd worry about. Uh, that's something I'd worry about a lot. I'd probably sell the holding. But just having the, the capital appreciation go down a little bit doesn't mean anything with it. In fact, let's go to the Oracle here to give his input on it. So Warren Buffett, he's in an interview here. And I'm just going to take a few seconds of it because I think he has some good advice on People that tend to do this, that tend to look at the stock tickers every day and to see the prices of things go up and down, I think this is, he's speaking directly to you. If the, you're the type of person to be looking at it and going, oh man, I lost 400 bucks or I gained 500 bucks. You're looking at, at that every single day. Just listen to him real quick. Well, if you own stocks like you'd own a farm or an apartment house, you don't get a quote on those every day or every week. Or, and I think you look, you look at the business and uh, the value of American business depends on how much it delivers in cash to its owners over between now and judgment day and and did you catch that last part he says the value of american business depends on the amount of cash it delivers to its owners between now and judgment day so the stocks going up and down 500 dollars is not it pushing out cash to you look at this if i actually go to my activity here if i go to dividends here two days ago 30 almost 38 bucks in dividends that i was paid two days ago that's actual cash that these companies are pushing out to me. Now I look at this and I have all these different companies. They bought between four different holdings, $38.65 worth of shares. This cycle is what's important. And that's actually what I look at is the amount of cash being put out. I agree with Warren Buffett. If you actually look at this as owning a farm, you're not going to be getting an appraisal on it every single day and being worrying about if it's worth a few thousand dollars today, less you know than it was yesterday. Are these holdings really worth 5%, 6% less today than they were two days ago? Are these companies really worth that much less in two days? That companies have been in the business for 40 years? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's investors and price fluctuations. I think, you know, obviously the value changes on paper, but I think it's the same business. Unless something fundamentally changes with the business, I don't think it's anything to worry about. So, you know, this could go on for a while too. REITs for a while have gone up 
pretty far. If you look at VNQ, I believe is the name of it. Like, let's take a look at this. If you go to the year to date here, this is the Vanguard REIT fund. So if you just buy their fund that gathers every single REIT together, it's still up 16% since the beginning of the year. So the fact that REITs dropped down 3 or 4% over the past couple of days, and mine got hit a little bit harder because the ones, the higher quality ones, the premium ones got hit a little bit harder than the smaller ones. I don't think that that really means anything. That's my opinion on it. If you, uh, if you feel concerned about it or worried about it, then you're focusing on the wrong thing because my portfolio, what I've said that I'm doing here, I've said it in every single video that I'm not focused on capital appreciation. I'm focused on cash flow. This is a cash flow portfolio. The whole, the whole portfolio is designed for cash flow and it's dividend growth. I literally have it in my YouTube video, dividend growth investing, growing the dividend, growing your cash flow is the important part of this. I look at this. What do I track? What do I say is the most important graph is growing my income. This is actual dividends paid to me. I don't have one for capital appreciation because that's not my concern. My concern is growing the dividends. I think capital appreciation will come right along with it. It usually does. And I'm going to be talking about that in a minute. But this is the primary thing that I look at. As long as this is growing year over year and, and generally speaking that the trend line is going upwards, then I'm happy. I'm on the right track. So that's what I focus on with it. Okay, so moving on from this, I wanted to just take a couple minutes and circle back to a video I did a while ago. This one right here, Debunking Dividend Lies, was the second episode I did, and it's actually the most viewed one for whatever reason. But the part that I wanted to talk about was the part I think is the most interesting of the video, and that's where I highlight a Reddit comment. Um, and it's it's not to focus on that specific Redditor, but it's just a very common argue that, argument that's made. And if you've listened to the video, I've seen you've seen what it is. It's pretty much that basic argument that lots of growth investors say, where they say dividends, there's no point in them. It's just the same as selling part of a share. If a company pays a dividend, identical to you just selling part of a share. Now, I go through in this video, and I don't want to rehash everything, but I draw out while, why that's not true, why they're not an equivalency, that companies paying and returning excess cash to shareholders isn't the, the same as you selling equity in that company. Um, anyway, I don't want to rehash all of that, but this type of this type of lie that gets spread around and gives people false impressions, I just got into another discussion with someone else, and they're pretty much saying the same the same type of thing. So I'll put the comment on the screen here. And we can read through it together. And I brought up the same example I do, which is Warren Buffett that bought Coca-Cola and he bought it for like a billion dollars and it's paid dividends and returned a ton of capital to him. Returns over 500 million a year now to him. Ever since he, he purchased that, he's been super wealthy from dividends being paid from it. I, you know, I brought that as an example of how good companies do when they return dividends, when they return capital to their shareholders that way and how helpful that is. And he says... And if Coca-Cola didn't pay out those dividends, Coca-Cola would have that much more in the bank, making the shares worth more, and he could have sold the shares for a profit. Now, do you not see what is wrong with that statement right there? There's nothing to suggest that if Coca-Cola had kept all of its money, that it would have opportunities to invest in or grow. In fact, a lot of companies that are the size of Coca-Cola, even early on, like in 1988, there's nothing to suggest that they would have grown any faster with more capital. A lot of times when companies have excess capital, they end up squandering it 
because the management doesn't know what to do with it. They, they're, it's not a bottleneck for them. It, this might sound weird, but money for companies isn't always the biggest bottleneck for them to expand. Like I know a lot of companies personally that they have tons of money, but they don't have talent. They don't have the right people in place and they, there's a, a shortage of talent. So just his assumption that the company would have been able to compound and expand the same rate as as would have returned the same value to shareholders as paying those dividends is totally factually false. There is nothing to suggest that they would have been able to return as much value keeping that money themselves as they did returning it to shareholders. I strongly believe that Coca-Cola returned a lot more value to its shareholders by paying those dividends than if it would have kept that money itself. And I think there's a lot more evidence to support that. In fact, if I actually if I move on from this, let's go to this article here. This caught my attention, and this is from the Wall Street Journal, why dividend stocks are popular again. So they went out of style for the past 10 years. Like I said, the, the biggest style of investing is growth companies, so not really value, but growth strictly. This article kind of goes through why dividends are making somewhat of a comeback. So it says, while most investors buy dividend stocks for the steady income stream, that isn't the only benefit that these investments offer. Financial experts say, indeed, research shows that dividend stocks often outperform their non-dividend-paying counterpart over long periods. From 1958 to 2018, a portfolio with the top 20% of the S&P 500 companies ranked by dividend yield and weighted by market capitalization outperformed the overall S&P 500 by 2.13 percentage points annually, according to the Chicago-based Green Rock Research. So, even though... I always say that my focus is on the cash flow. My focus is on this right here. This actual income being being gathered to me that I don't care about anything else. I care about the income. Even though I focus on that and I think the best way to get that income and have it continue to increase is buying high quality companies. What this article points out is what I also believe. That if I do focus on income and companies that are able to grow and expand while returning capital to their shareholders, I think the same thing will happen. I think over the long run, that those type of companies are going to be the ones that do the best over long periods of time. I wanted to point that out. I'm not just, you know, if I only wanted income and didn't want any kind of capital growth to carry over it, I wouldn't be doing this, but I think you get the best best of both worlds with dividend investing. Now, moving on from that, I wanted to just touch on something that we've gone over in my videos, at least. If you're new here, you might not know about this, but if you've watched previous videos of mine, we've talked about Boeing a lot and Vox came out with a, like a little, I don't know what you call it. One of these like little mini documentary five minute videos. And it goes over really the, the problems that happened with Boeing, how it was trying to compete with Airbus and they had to make compromises. And this video, I'll just show a few seconds of it, but if you're interested and want to see more of like a, a visual of what happened um, with the engineering part of it, you can watch this. I think they did a really good job with this. So I'll show you just a few seconds of it here. This is an airplane engine, Boeing 737 MAX 8. And its engine is the key to understanding why this particular plane has caused so many problems. To compete with Airbus, Boeing's obvious move was to upgrade the engine on their single aisle plane, the 737. But there is one issue. Notice how the 737 is lower to the ground than the A320. But there wasn't enough room under the wing of the Boeing 737. Their solution was to move up the engine on the wing so that it would be slightly higher. Here's a promotional video of that updated 737 in the air. 
you can actually see that the top of the engine is above the wing. Yeah, so this video, I think it's funny because it's called The Real Reason Boeing's New Plane Crashed. Like, Vox went out and kind of discovered something that not everybody knew. But you actually watch the video, and it's mostly just what we already knew. So it's they don't. there's no real reason that they reveal in there. But it is a good summation of what happened. It shows how they... Like they pushed the engine up further on the wing, which made it so that the nose went up and then they had it kind of hacked together a anti-stall system, the MCAS, and how that caused all the problems. Anyways, I'll put the link of that in the description so you can check out that video too. I thought it was pretty cool considering we've gone over that before. The only other piece of news I want to hit on for today is there's a Wall Street Journal article here about Netflix. Netflix subscriber count rises, but growth slows at home. If I look at between Netflix and Disney, Netflix, I think, is going to be around for a very long time. But I'd be hesitant because the price is so high right now. And the fact that there's so many big players entering into the business. With Apple entering into original content, you already have HBO. And now you have Disney entering in. And Disney doesn't have to really pay for all their content. They already have so much of a huge, good library already made. So they have a lot of advantages entering in. And I don't think any one of them is going to take away from Netflix a whole lot. But altogether, the, the space is becoming pretty crowded. When I look at entertainment, I don't know if it's so crowded that any one of them is really going to suffer, though. Because I think that there's a lot of people out there... and. Everybody, I think the biggest commonality between people is they want entertainment. I don't know of anybody that doesn't like any of these type of entertainments. So something that everybody in the world wants, and as new emerging markets and those type of things are opening up, India is getting internet, I think Netflix still has growth path, but it's going to be a lot slower. If I actually looked at companies that I do think will grow a lot with this type of thing, Disney. They don't have any subscribers right now, and in four years they could have 90 million. I think there's a lot more growth available for Disney than there is for Netflix right now. But so I just wanted to touch on that. I thought this article is interesting. I obviously I like Disney more um, at this point than I do Netflix. I think it's a lot better valued than Netflix, but I do have it in my portfolio. I don't have Netflix in my portfolio. Other than that, let me move on and just answer some questions. So I'll go through four of them real quick here. The first one. Mr. Carlson, great video. I'd like to ask, but do you know the difference between growth and value stocks? Would you happen to know whether Blackstone or BlackRock are growth or value? Also, based on your opinion, are they good stocks? Invested? So I don't know to speak to those. I don't know enough about those stocks particular to speak to them. I'd have to go and do a bunch of research on them. But my understanding of growth stocks and value stocks are value stocks are ones where typically you look at other companies that are similar to those ones. And the book value of that company that you're looking at is under where it should be, under where all of its comparables are, right? So it's like if you're doing an appraisal on the company and the value of it comes in, it says, man, this is a really good deal for this company compared to all the ones that are similar to it or being compared in the same way. Whereas growth stocks are usually not undervalued. So they're usually at their value, but you're estimating their value based off of where they're going to be in five years because of their their ability to take over market share. So if you look at a, a growth stock, you're looking at something that not necessarily is undervalued, but one that you think will be multiples more valuable in five, 10 years because of the rate of growth, the rate of earnings growth, 
and their rate of market share growth. And that's what I think is the biggest difference between the two, as far as my understanding of it. Um, Jonathan Bridges says, I'm curious as to know how you manage all those K-1s. Is this an accounting nightmare? Um, I was really concerned about that the first year that I really had a full portfolio like this of individual stocks. It wasn't nearly as bad as I had in my mind. Like really all I did was I, I did mine on um, TurboTax, on Intuit TurboTax. And there is no big deal. All I did was I filled out the summary. So you can do it two different ways. Well, there's a couple different ways you could do it. They have like an API sync that you can use. Um, if you have too many transactions, you can't do the API sync. And then the hard way would be entering in every single every single line item, which obviously isn't feasible because I had thousands of them. Um, but the easy way is just to do a summary. So there's a thing that you fill out. I mean, you fill out probably like 20 different maybe 10 to 20 different uh, cells or whatever you call them, maybe 10 to 20 different inputs. And it's just a summary of everything, all the different dividends, if you had any foreign ones. And once you have that finished, I mean, it's done. You don't have to do anything else. It just summarizes all your income taxes from the different types of dividends and holdings. All right, so the next question is from Flame King. He says, thank you so much for all the valuable information. The Emory information was super helpful. So I think he's talking about my last show there. He says, I turn 18 soon. I have a decent amount of money saved up. So he's just turning to 18. And I'll be sure to implement the information you've given for the rest of your life. I'm really grateful for your honesty and how you make everything in. Okay. So he's turning 18 soon. He's already investing. And he says that he has a lot of uh, money saved up. So he has the propensity to actually save money as a teenager. Um, If he keeps doing this, Flame King is going to absolutely be a millionaire Definitely by the time he retires, probably much, much sooner. If I, I think everybody says like, man, I wish I started doing this stuff earlier and earlier. If we all started when we were teenagers, a hundred percent, we'd be further, further where we are right now than, than we currently are. So the earlier you start, good job with that. You're going to do extremely well. If you keep learning about finance, how to handling your money. Um, I was thinking about this today and if I could choose between having financial knowledge and investing knowledge and having a high income, if it was one or the other, I either had the high income and I didn't have any financial investing knowledge, or I had the financial investing knowledge and a low income, I would choose the financial investing knowledge and a low income 10 times out of 10, every single time. It's far more important. If you can have both of them, that's the best of both worlds. But the fact that you learn about this stuff is extremely important. And I think that it has a a much bigger impact than just making a little bit of more money at your work. Um, the last question that I'll highlight is from 28M Views. He says, is now a bad time to start putting money in? It seems like everything is reaching highs. Should I wait summer or fall or put lump sum in when it might get lower or should I start investing now? Thanks. All right, so this is a tough one because if I go ahead and say, hey, start putting your money in now and then everything drops off in three months, then I made a bad call right then, right? The difficulty is, is that you can't see the future, but you can't see the past. We are at highs. We're at like a 10-year bull market. The problem with sitting on the sidelines and not doing anything is there's opportunity costs there. And every year the market continues going up is opportunity cost that you've lost out. I don't think it's a good idea to just sit on the sidelines. I don't think there's anything that immediate in my mind. If I was in his situation, I would start investing. I would just be doing it very cautiously, very conservatively. I wouldn't start investing in really like super aggressive things at this point. But I also wouldn't just sit out on the sidelines or I wouldn't put my money in a 
you know, a 2.5% high yield savings account. I just don't think you're ever going to get rich doing that. I don't think you'll ever make a lot of wealth doing that. So my advice would be to start investing, but do it very conservatively, dollar cost average into it. And yeah, that's pretty much it. So I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, This is kind of, I know we're jumped around a lot in this video. Um, I'm going to be doing another like sector review over the weekend, but I thought it'd be interesting to update you. We'll see if REITs keep getting destroyed as well as I believe healthcare was another sector that got hurt as well. So I can talk about that on the, in the next show as well. But I hope you guys have a good time. I'll see you on the weekend.